welcome to The Threat Show, powered by Fletch. People have this misconception that you host everything in Google and yet you're protected. Google doesn't give two rats about what you host inside their infrastructure. They're not going to protect your information no less than you're hosting it inside your environment. Yes, you get certain added benefits from the infrastructure side and, and the fact that it's functional and it's not going to go down on you and things of that nature. But Google stands right up and say, look, we're not here to protect your environment. Welcome to The Threat Show. I'm Darian Kinlan, your host, VP of Technology here at Fletch. And with me every week is Chris Wilder, Research Director at Tag Cyber. Hey, Chris. Always great to be back. Yeah, likewise. So this week, we're joined by special guest Pat Pacalico. Pat's got an impressive career, having served in the U.S. Navy SEALs, doing intelligence reconnaissance for over 10 years before focusing on business and technology. He currently serves as Executive Vice President, General Manager of North America at Cerebro, which is a SOC platform that offers instant response and threat hunting services to clients in order to protect their businesses from costly disruptions to their business operations. Pat leads their client engagement in North America and is responsible for regional growth, business development, and partnerships. Welcome to the show, Pat. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. My pleasure. It's uh, happy to be here. So we'll be talking more with Pat about why small, medium-sized businesses should hire a SOC provider and more. But first, let's run through this week's threats. I guess the good news here is that there was no major zero days released by any major vendor. I guess that's worth a celebration, right, Chris? Yeah, you know, quiet clapping. <laughs> <laughs> quiet clapping. <laughs> but we do have some interesting older resurgence in vulnerabilities with VMware's platform. We even got a uh, targeted threat as well as malware that's being delivered using an obscure app that probably very few people are, are actually using, which is bizarre. And then to top it off, you've got some vulnerabilities related to OpenSSL, everyone's favorite security library. First on our, our list is actually a set of vulnerabilities with VMware ESXi. You'd be surprised how many people still host their own virtual machine platform, but it's still pretty popular for those who have not yet migrated to the cloud. And in this case, uh, the underlying vulnerabilities were fixed by VMware almost like six months ago. But unfortunately, for most small, medium-sized business environments, they don't patch quite, quite away. And so if you've exposed your ESXi server to the internet, you're likely going to get compromised by what is it, four different types of ransomware, I think, that's that, that, and counting so far? Is that is that right, Chris? Last site, so I, was, I think we're almost up to six now, so. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, you know, it makes sense, right, that you're, that you're not going to necessarily patch a device that doesn't do a whole lot of functions, but at the same time, it's like, why would you have the management interface of, arguably something that's processing pretty critical workloads exposed directly to the internet. I, I don't know. From that standpoint, the ransomware operators have not been fully successful in their campaigns to the point where CISA's actually released a recovery tool to be able to undo the damage, so to speak, that some of these ransomware operators have inflicted. But at the end of the day, any organization that's impacted by this needs to think deeply about, does it really make sense from an operational perspective to still be running your own you know, VMware deployment rather than 
migrating your workloads to like a proper cloud environment where you would not have these sorts of problems. You know, obviously you can patch ESXi, you can disable the feature within the management system to prevent future attempts to compromise this. You all probably also need to wrap the management interface around a VPN, a firewall, a VPC, something so that it's not directly exposed to the internet. But, you know, strategically makes sense to move everything to a separate provider if you don't want to deal with this sort of problem in the future. I don't know, Chris, what, what are your thoughts here? To your point, yeah, the, the first question is why, why are you hosting it yourself? You know, same thing with the, you know, Rackspace got in trouble with this too, with their hosted exchange side of that uh, business as well. What is that uh, F around you find out that kind of stuff? <laughs> Yeah, I think I think the industries, you know, I think I think people are, you know, starting to, uh, but ESX is is a is a very very prolific product. I mean, from day one when they launched it, I, I remember being there when when they they launched it. It was, it is one of the most secure solutions on uh, with you know for internal infrastructure. It's one of the most secure solutions on in the market, which makes it a very nice right target. I think part of this, I, the one concern I have with this specific thing is I don't I'm not gonna get into the religious war of you know do I set it out to provider or not but one of the challenges is you know they got bought by Broadcom and Broadcom is notoriously good at taking really great technology really great companies and then putting them on a shelf and and, and they go away so I would it, yeah I it kind of ties into a kind of a much larger strategy CISOs and enterprise teams have to have if they have if they are using ESX but it's it's a wonderful product, but like I said, Broadcom does a great job of of destroying them. Yeah, so we'll see if I'm in, uh, mood. I'm, in mood. I'm in a mood today, Darian. So <laughs> yeah, no worries, no worries. I mean, yeah, it, yeah. it'll be interesting to see if we uh, start to encounter more and more of these sorts yeah. of vulnerabilities within yeah. VMware. Who knows, right? Yeah. So moving on, we've. And also found that there's a, a new threat group that appears to be targeting a number of organizations. This was originally thought of as a targeted attack, although if it's over a thousand organizations victimized by this, it really can't be considered targeted at this point. Proofpoint's calling them TA-866. The you know journalist-friendly version is the screen time threat group. But ultimately, what's interesting about this particular wave of activity is not the fact that they're using email, weaponized links or weaponized attachments within email. It's what they do after they compromise an organization's systems. Normally, you would expect attackers to start stealing data, start stealing files and other you know, raw data from an environment. But... For these particular attackers, what they're doing is they're looking at screen recordings of compromised systems. So they're literally pulling out every 10 seconds the screen recording of what's going on in, in these environments and then shipping it back and then determining if it's interesting or sensitive information and then delivering second stage malware, which does more pilfering. It's it's weird. I mean, I don't know if we've seen any other threat groups that have employed this type of tactic specifically. I'm not sure. What, what are your thoughts here, Chris? Well, I, and, and Pat, you and I have talked a lot about this in the past is kind of the randomness of, of hackers. They, you know, they don't know what they're getting into that once they get in. And this is, this is a very convenient and effective way to 
obviously go find the keys to the kingdom. But, you know, what Pat Pat once told me, he said, you know, you can't keep China out, but you can manage what they do once they're inside your environment, whether north, south, east, west. But this randomness creates a lot of chaos. And so, Pat, have you seen any of this at all in your world? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of a lot of typical attack trends like this, you know, typically how they set up and how they communicate out is is relatively all the same, you know, and, and you hit it on the head, you know, especially with all the zero day type of exploits that are being created on a, on a weekly basis and, and being released. You know, a lot of these systems are being bypassed. So even if you're not relying on if you're relying on those specific systems inside the infrastructure to provide security and they're being bypassed by zero day and they're getting a footprint inside and they're setting up their command C2 control and they're starting shipping information in and out, you know, at that point, you're pretty much screwed, you know, because it's it's not it's not about necessarily anymore what system do you have in place to guard the fences, so to speak, or guard the infrastructure. It's it's how you're leveraging, how are you monitoring, how are you centralizing? Because there's there's multiple different times in client accounts, even on our side, where we're monitoring uh, you know environments on a 24/7 basis, that it it isn't we are actually responding to something that we've correlated ourselves without a specific alert generated from a specific asset. So it's not like we got a, an alert from a firewall or alert from an EDR or alert from a, another subsystem that we're monitoring that gave us the in inclination that there's an issue going on at this specific machine. But more so, we're actually getting a lot more from our correlation rules, identifying specific uh, traffic patterns and specific actions that are going on inside so we can identify the threat that's going on. We just had one recently. We had the uh, Go Anywhere MFT zero day exploited inside mm -hmm. one of our client's environments. You know, again, what triggered it inside our SOC was not necessarily, it wasn't even an alert that came from one of the assets deployed inside the client's infrastructure. It was a correlation rule that we had determining a certain traffic pattern that that flagged and created a critical incident and it helped us respond to it in a very effective uh, manner where we were able to isolate and then contain it. And then within, uh, I think, 15 hours, we were able to fully close the IR. You know, so I mean, it's that kind of visibility is a significant difference between having an issue, continuing business continuity, or not, you know, and you being having your systems shut down, encrypted, God knows whatever they, they want to deploy, leave behind and, and what they can actually exfil out of the organization. Right. And sometimes, you know, those types of detections can help you understand the motive or objectives of what the attackers are trying to do. In this particular case, you know, the fact that the attackers are going after screen recordings suggests that they didn't even know what the target apps were that their victims had installed. Maybe it's like a ton of them, right? And rather than building custom tooling to determine and extract out data from every single tool, just grab wholesale screenshots of what the victim sees on their computer. The fact that they're doing it that frequently though, suggests that maybe they're going after sensitive information that's time sensitive which might suggest financial services providers, high frequency trading, maybe they use custom apps. And that's kind of why some researchers were hypothesizing that, you know, there's some sort of financial motivation. But usually in financial motivation type attacks, you see evidence of, you know, thefts happen shortly after these victims get compromised. You'll see trades happening on the markets which indicate that they're now benefiting from this. But if you don't see that, usually they might just be selling access or the data to other third parties, which suggests more of an espionage type approach. Certainly interesting. It's worth checking out further. Obviously, the victims are currently based in the US and Germany, but we'll see if this type of campaign or tactic grows further in different geolocations.
Moving on, we're what, a week, less than a week away from Valentine's Day, but it's come early with ransomware operators sending love notes in the form of OneNotes. <laughs> and people are probably wondering what the heck is a OneNote, right? So apparently the latest fad in this cat and mouse game between attackers and defenders is around specific weaponized attachments being sent in emails. It used to be that you know attackers would send weaponized Word documents, Excel spreadsheets, or PowerPoint presentations in attachments with macros enabled by default. And if it's one click to compromise, but then I think about a couple months ago, maybe last year, Microsoft turned that off by default. Then the attacker switched to other formats like disk images and archives. And again, one click to compromise that was working for a while. And then the vendors decided to turn that off and make it less functional. So now we're seeing a shift towards OneNote malware, where it's literally, you know, you think who who on earth uses OneNote, right? Turns out that if you're on a Windows system and you have Office installed, chances are OneNote is there by default, even though you're not using it, which is why this is a popular targeting used right now by attackers. I, I don't know. Have you heard of OneNote before, Chris? Is this something new for you? Or? Uh, yeah, I know, I know OneNote well. I just astonished that hackers have figured <laughs> have found that that pathway which is it, it it just it's just amazing but you know that the other side of that too darian is we've seen such an increase in you know since probably november of last year just a massive increase in in attacks on microsoft and you know other exchange style systems even especially the open source ones so yeah not not surprising they always they always find their way to to cause chaos, and yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised by this. I don't use OneNote personally, but this also opens up a, a Pandora's box for guys like Evernote, and you know a lot of creators typically, you know, people that they they use those systems to those tools to keep their life in order. So yeah, I'll add on to that too. I mean, look from the SMB profile. I mean, a lot of these you know systems or are that like OneNote and whatnot that are being utilized. Think about the SMB world where. They might not have the sophistication to have multiple different types of media that they communicate across their organization. They might be leveraging everything they can to the licenses that are already paying through Microsoft so that they can minimize their costs on communicating. So it, it makes sense for me that they would actually target something like this and knowing that it may be a, a small portion of the overall industry that's utilizing it. So maybe not your enterprise clients, so to speak, but this is a function that I see in a lot of different SMBs use. You know, because again, they're already paying for their licenses for their for their Microsoft and, and what they're leveraging out of it. And they're going to try to squeeze as much as they can from operational sense so they don't have to go outside of it and bring in another third-party system to come in and talk, communicate, and everything else. So it's interesting, but it, it definitely fits in that matter. And they know that SMB space is wide open. You know, many of the organizations are not being monitored. They have limited resources. They're usually using a third party to manage their IT systems. So they're not necessarily on the ground in the in the organization themselves. So there, there is a slight delay there. And depending on that MSP that's actually functioning for them as their IT management, you know, it depends on how sophisticated they are and what level of expertise they have and how quick they are to respond, because they usually have a ton of different clients they're doing the same type of functionality for. So you know, it makes sense for me from that, from the direction actually they're trying to take. It's, I guess, in some cases surprising, in other cases not. The fact that this particular vulnerability exists, is it the only vulnerability within OneNote? Who knows? Chances are, if Microsoft does fix this in a timely manner, attackers might uncover a whole bunch of other vulnerabilities. 
And so it kind of makes you wonder, do SMBs have the bandwidth to do the routine patch management to play the cat and mouse game around these issues or not, right? If, for if you're an organization that doesn't use OneNote, maybe you're 99% or 98% of the organizations that don't use this app, this might be a wake up call to just uninstall the app and use something else, honestly. But we'll see what happens. I've never had a pad of paper in my pen hacked, so. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, you brought up a good point. I think you brought up a good point, Darian, is that, you know, you, you can't control what the attacker's threat landscape is going to change and how it's going to change. And they have time, motivation, and they're, this is their thrill, is looking for those new opportunities, looking for those new ways to rat into an organization and try to exploit those, those rare, you know, even if it's minute aspects of the, of the industry, even if it's 1% of the industry, you're still talking thousands of thousands and thousands of machines and, and, you know, customers that you can go after, you know, in companies, you know, and the creativity of what they're creating and how to exploit certain, you know, functionality inside certain applications is amazing. But yeah, I think yeah. that's, that just brings us to like the, the next part of the conversation is how do you mitigate it? You know, how do you, right. how do you stay ahead? Of, I can tell you that it, it's difficult. It's very difficult for an organization to do this by themselves. Absolutely. So moving on, last but not least, we had a number of high severity bugs or flaws that appear within Internet's most popular cryptographic library, OpenSSL. It's been around forever. But now there's new issues raised where if you've implemented OpenSSL in an app and you've configured the app to do non-standard ways to check for revoked certificates, you could actually open yourself up to a vulnerability where attackers could potentially steal protected information that was previously wrapped in encryption by OpenSSL. Ultimately, if you're authoring legacy apps that use OpenSSL, you definitely want to patch. But honestly, if you're authoring something new, you might want to consider alternatives to OpenSSL altogether. Now, granted, five, 10 years ago, you didn't have that option. OpenSSL is really the only other thing on the market. But nowadays, there's newer libraries out there that may have a better security posture that don't have as much legacy code to deal with. For example, Rust TLS is one that seems to be getting a lot of traction right now. But there are others that exist beyond this. Regardless, though, this issue certainly exists. It's not critical, meaning it's not been found to be exploited yet in the wild. That said, if you have a tough time maintaining patches in your environment, uh, it's only a matter of time before attackers go after this particular vector. What was it? Mark, Mark Twain said, uh, write what you know. You know, the bad actors, this is a, yeah, open SSL is just a, it's a target that is a gift that keeps on giving. But you're right, there are alternatives out there. But, you know, I think, I think most companies, and, you know, especially in uh, SME, you know, the smaller markets, they don't get it. They're going to use something that they that they know that and you know, something that they're they're familiar with. So so it makes it makes a very nice ripe target. But whether or not uh, it's, yeah, I think you're right. But you know, just the whole lesson on this one is just patch, patch, patch. Yeah, absolutely. So that wraps up our threats for the week. As we said, we had a grab bag. We thought there'd be at least one other zero day, but thankfully not, although there's still plenty to talk about. If you want to dive deeper into this week's trending threats, be sure to check out the interactive Fletch newsletter and trending threats app. 
to see all the stories we talked about and more. Now, on to our special guest interview. Let's switch the conversation over to Pat. Hey, Pat, how are you doing? Good, good. Yeah, so you've seen how, you know, these particular threats seem to be dominating the news cycle. Uh, I'm curious, from your perspective, would this be kind of a normal week for Cerebro's sock or abnormal, either higher or lower from your perspective? It is status quo, you know, and it's, and it's much, quo. much more. You know, one of the things that, that we see is because we have clients spread across the globe, you know, we get different attacks that happen and transpire from different aspects or different parts of the world. And so uniquely, everything gets centralized and we, we see them. And of course, through the wisdom of the crowd, you know, our, all of our clients kind of benefit from whatever attacks are going off and, you know, whatever changes and however we reconfigure or change a correlation rule to, to identify these things, everyone benefits from it. But it, it's a constant process. You know, we have a, a very large dedicated integrated threat intelligence team and their whole sole purpose is, is keeping their ear to the ground and understanding what's what's happening, what kind of attacks are being you know conducted and what matter, what are they trying to exploit, what are they trying to get into, is it a zero day, is it legacy, is it something that, you know, net new that, you know, these are the kind of things that we have to always stay ahead of to make sure that our clients' environments are always protected. You know, SMBs take a, a tremendous hit because they have the, the least amount of resources compared to anybody. Resources from people, money, everything else is very difficult for them to manage. And there's such a threat now because they're all utilizing the same technologies you, you see in Fortune 500 companies. 15 years ago, when probably more SMBs were on-premise and they didn't have much in the cloud and, and there very few did, and you can stand in, in, in Wyoming and say, I'm a tire manufacturer and who's going to target me? And you have probably a little bit more way to say that. You can't say that anymore. I have so many use cases that we can talk for the next 10 hours about different client engagements and talking through how they got hammered and the differences of having monitoring inside their environments changes the game. And even from an attacker standpoint, attackers are just like anybody else, but they, they follow the path of least resistance. The moment they get inside and they realize they're starting to get locked and they're starting to get trapped inside the environment, they're gone. They don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. They realize they got pressure on them. They're going to go someplace else that doesn't have monitoring in place and they're going to be able to go in and do what they want to do without feeling the heat on them every two seconds, they're trying to make a move. So at the end of the game, it's having that cross-contextual visibility of the entire infrastructure to really protect the environment and leverage the tools that are already in place. One brings more OI back to the clients themselves because they can see there's tools working and they benefit for them. And it's not a team trying to isolate an issue or see an alert generated from a specific asset and then trying to piece together everything else to determine the complexity of that attack. It's impossible especially when you talk for SMBs, because the likelihood of them having a senior engineer that has all the different disciplines from forensics and be able to dive in deep inside the infrastructure, those are very expensive people and they're very hard to find. They're added to service because they can't even manage it on their own. You mentioned patching before, and it's something I always, we come across a lot. Companies like to do monthly vulnerability schemes and produces a new report of, of different, different things they need to patch inside the environment when they didn't even finish the, the patching that they were supposed to do the month prior. Right, they yeah. continually do the scans and scans and scans and scans to identify the issues, but they never really developed the well-oiled process to actually do the patching efficiently. So they're staying up to date and they're not doing it in a sense. And we've talked we've talked to our own clients and say, look, why are you patching every month? You're not patching the stuff you did three months ago, but you're continually running reports. It's not just going to go away. It's going to compile. You know, mm -hmm. you need to fix what you have wrong now and then patch again, wait three months, get everything you need from that first one wait three months, patch it, and then do another vulnerability scan and see where you're at at that point. But you know, in the last one, you're up. And don't get me wrong, there's differences between patching because you're trying to keep good cyber health inside the organization and you're trying to keep everything up. 
And then there's there's the other pageant where you have things you're coming across your desk that are that are net new and they're blasted out because if you don't do it, you're wide open. And that's where you're starting to see like you have to have a different phase approach where you have almost like housekeeping patching where you need to keep things updated and every as best as you can, but then you also have to have an emergency patching. So that if something comes across a desk that is relatively new and, and it, you see the significance of it, you got to be able to jump on it fast. That's, that's so so true and so funny. I, I had a, recently had a conversation with a CISO from a very, very, very large company. And he was standing tall in front of the board. He had his reports all ready to go. He said, we have mitigated 12,000 vulnerabilities this month. And it, he was all excited about it. And it was everybody. And then the next question the savvy board member asked is, how many more do you have? And, <laughs> and it was uh, two million. <laughs> but we're working oh, yeah. on it. We're working hard. You're absolutely spot on. And, and, and this is why I've always, especially with smaller businesses, I, I've never have ever said, gosh, you should go off and build a sock. That'd be awesome because it's, I've always said you have to outsource this to people who actually do this day to day and understand the business and understand the threats and understand how to react to it on your behalf because they'll keep guys training and you're not going to lose guys if they get their tier one SOC certification. Then a year later, they're they're gone and right. you know, twice as much. Yeah, so. Yeah, North America alone is is million plus open open security yeah. jobs and they can't fill them. The disciplines of taking somebody from an academic role where they're learning computer science and everything else from an IT perspective and then turning them into a security expert is difficult. You know, I always say like IT, it's like apples to oranges. They're both fruit. They both work with computers, but it's two fundamental different disciplines. And the, the, another analogy I like to use is like taking a security guard who has training with a pistol or a firearm and then sticking them in a SEAL platoon and saying, well, you, you, you know how to use a firearm. So go do some missions with a SEAL, platoon, a SEAL team and see if you know, you, you're, you're good. And it's two fundamental different things, two different trainings, two different things. Yes, they both work with firearms, but it's it's very different. And it's the same thing in the IT world, the same thing in the security world. I always like to think that IT people are fantastic what they do, but they're there to make sure they have continuity. They're there to make sure that the business can operate, function, and do the things they need to do digitally so they can go to market and do the things they need to do. Security people are looking for that stash. They're thinking like criminals. They're identifying malicious things inside the, the data stream that's being produced inside the organization. They can care less about the load balancing of the organization. They're not looking at continuity from the standpoint of can they process things and upload different documents and send it over the infrastructure. They're there hunting and looking every day for what looks malicious, what is out of the, out of the normal, you know, and then they're, they're reacting to it and putting all the things around it to respond to it. But it's two very different fundamentals disciplines that that a lot of people think, well, you know, he's a confident engineer. He knows his stuff. He knows the infrastructure really well. Okay, now he's managing security devices and making decisions and trying to do rudimentary forensics on isolated incidents that they see. And they don't realize it's a much larger game. Right. So, Pat, from your perspective, how often have you heard from clients that get so distracted by the security topics that make the news or the headlines versus what they should really be caring about in, in terms of protecting their organization. Is that a common refrain or is that unique or rare? Uh, you know, the, the media definitely plays a big part in it. Uh, it's escaping me, but one of the recent, they had a recent big media blast about a certain exploit that was getting pushed out and we were getting calls. We were getting proactive calls from a lot of our clients. Hey, are you guys on this? Are you guys monitoring this? We're like, yeah, 
Yeah, we're, we're on it. Yeah, 100%. We, we were on it four days ago before it was announced by the, the media. <laughs> and that's the reality of it. And don't get me wrong. Everyone's trying to protect their industry, trying to protect their business. And that's good. Really good. But they have to understand that this is a whole world in it, and we're, we're immersed into it. And you have to be. If you're not, you know, even, even technology companies like Logarithm, you know, like for SIM technologies, they already created white papers and said something to the effect. It's like if you installed a logarithm today and don't have it optimized within the six to eight months of it functioning inside your environment, it's outdated to the point it's useless. And this is already coming where a lot of these organizations that try to leverage some technologies on their own, I can go into a whole world about how difficult that is. Just maintaining it, optimizing, configuring it correctly for your environment, not only from your environment, but the vertical you're operating Understanding the fundamental questions of inside the organization uh, management, what are your most precious digital assets? What are you trying to protect most? You'd be astonished to hear what those differences are from the CEO to the board members to the CISO to everything else. You'll get a different answer every time. And it's fundamental to understand what you're trying to protect and what you're trying to absolutely safeguard versus what you think is the most important thing or what we think is the most important thing. We've had Fortune 500 companies, we've had even medium companies, you walk into and have a conversation with them and just in casual, casual talk, you ask that question, you know, they're a financial company. So you would think all their financial assets that they have, you know, functioning inside the infrastructure be the most important thing that they'd ever want to protect. We've heard right from the CEO's mouth. My email exchange is the most important thing to me. There's things in there that people will go to jail for. So I need to have these things protected. I don't care if it's the most simplest alert that's produced by our email exchange. I want it escalated to a critical event and investigate. Because if somebody gets a hold of that, it's end, end state for us. But it, it'd, be, it'd shock you that here that the email exchange is his most prized asset that he wants to protect. You know, it's, it's, it's astonishing, but that's the reality of it. And you have to have that understanding. And that's where having that cross-contextual visibility and, and diving into each one of those assets and having them being centralized and correlated into a SIM and having proprietary type of algorithms running to do the detection and constantly being updated, constantly being reconfigured, constantly being adjusted to whatever the attack trends that the industry is doing is really the only way to stay ahead of the game. It really is. You can buy as many tools as you want. And don't get me wrong. It's great to have tools inside the environment. It gives you more granularity to actually identify those things quicker. But if you don't have a central way to push all that information into one brain and have that brain functionally understand what it is and make sense of it, luck if you're going to be able to you know, identify a specific problem and isolate it effectively so it doesn't have damaging effect across the whole organization. Yeah, that perspective, it's, it's difficult for a lot of small, medium-sized businesses to accomplish, honestly. And the, the issues that are being talked about in the news right now it's almost like the analogy of an ice, iceberg, right? You can see what's visible above the surface, but there's a whole bunch of other, other issues, other underlying issues beneath that surface that you really can't quite uncover without proper monitoring, without visibility, and without a team to action that information and actually yeah. defend properly. That's... I actually remember what that news media was. It was, the, it was the launch when the Ukraine war actually kicked off. And there was about a month into it, there was a huge blast from the media about escalated attempts for Russian-based attackers yep. to attack U.S. companies. And that's what it was. And, and everyone and everyone was freaking out about it. They were, <laughs> are you guys on top of this? Are you guys seeing this? I'm like, look, Russia's do, Russian attackers are doing what Russian attackers are doing. It's, yeah. it's China's doing the same thing, and they will continuously do it, and they will never stop. So and trust me when I tell you that if they have, they're, they're, they have been doing it already. 
So don't worry about it. They, the war in Ukraine and, the, and whatever we're doing to support that in any fashion isn't going to indicate an, another blip of them doing more. They're just going to continue doing it as they, as they always have been. And yes, we are aware of it. <laughs> we're watching. Yeah, we call it, we call it Tuesday. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I know we're kind of running up to the, the end of the time here, but so one of the big challenges that most of our enterprise clients come to us is right now, especially is kind of looking at software supply chain and dirty code and things coming in and out of open source repositories. We had Git Guardian on last week. And from a SOC perspective, is this something that's come into your radar or come on, you know, as a part of your calculus or how do you, how do you help your companies defend against dirty code and code scanning and third party TPRM, the third party uh, risk management? It's a very difficult question to be honest with you, you know, because there's, it depends on how far you can reach down. And again, we always come back to the optics you have inside the infrastructure always. So, you know, we mentioned the patching thing and everything else. And if you're behind on your patching, you already know you have vulnerabilities, you have gaps inside that you need to fill, but you haven't had it yet. Optics inside the infrastructure is the, is the number one way that you can mitigate these things. If you have a qualified, you know, somebody that's running the stock and providing the monitoring and they're experts and they know what they're looking at, it adds a layer of safety so that you know they have those vulnerabilities inside and you can still identify the issues once they actually start to get a foothold and actually transpire inside the network, you can see it. It's the same thing. And if you're using leveraging third-party vendors to come in and out of your network to supply you with either code or whatnot, and this also goes for the cloud. People have this misconception that you host everything in Google and yet you're protected. Google doesn't give two rats about what you host inside their infrastructure. They're not going to protect your information no less than you're hosting it inside your environment. Yes, you get certain added benefits from the infrastructure side and, and the fact that it's functional and it's not going to go down on you and things of that nature. But Google stands right up and say, look, we're not here to protect your environment. You're, we're, we're an infrastructure that you're leveraging. It's beholden and on you to protect your own information you're hosting with us. So again, it, it, they're quick to, to walk away from any kind of responsibility for protecting your environments. But you, you know, again, it all comes back to how are your infrastructures being monitored? What are they monitoring? Are there vectors specific? Are they just dropping agents in and whatever machines are connected are being monitored? Are they dropping a device inside the network infrastructure and monitoring that 24-7? It's giving you a layer, but it's not giving you that cross-contextual visibility. It's not pushing everything into a centralized SIM. It's not being correlated against defined algorithms for detection that are being constantly updated against whatever the attack trends are being produced in the industry. And then what happens when they identify something? Are they simply putting it on a platform and pushing it over to you for you to deal with? Are they just saying, hey, this is an issue. You might want to look into this because, again, that doesn't help you. It's having the dedicated teams in the background and having all the technology stack for ML and all the different things, solar orchestration and, and whatnot built into the process so you can identify something quickly and then respond to it effectively so it has no damaging effect inside the infrastructure. And you guys and everybody can still do what they need to do is, is focus on their business. I, uh, again, like you, you always prove my point, my friend. If you can, if you can outsource your sock, do it. It's so important right. because put it in the hands of guys that do this every day. And you know, as as an SMB, you know, you're lucky to we call them accidental CISOs and folks that fall into the job because they have a uncle is a is a partner in the firm and you have a computer science degree. That doesn't make you a security expert. And to be honest, I think Cerebro is probably one of the most innovative and forward thinking. SOC providers in the world. And yeah, you know, so I, I would say I always recommend people people outsourcing this this function of the business. 
Makes sense. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for both of your time today. I think that's all we have and we'll leave it there. Please join us next week for the next round of Threat Show when we cover more interesting threats for the week of Valentine's Day. Thank you both. Darren, Darren, Chris, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation. Thank, Thank you, sir. Darren, thank you so much. Thank you for tuning into the Threat Show. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on YouTube. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and interact with us on Twitter at The Threat Show. Also, be sure to subscribe to Fletcher's interactive newsletter and Trending Threats app to go deeper into the stories we discuss. Be sure to stay tuned to stay ahead of threats.